Last year, two of Syracuse's best sports team seasons were cut short due to the COVID-19 pandemic. At the time, the men's lacrosse team was the top-ranked team in the country, and women's lacrosse was ranked number three. With both teams returning to the field in the next few days, we spoke with Daily Orange Lacrosse beat reporters about expectations and key members to watch from both programs. I'm Thomas Schultz. This is the Daily Orange Sportscast. We're now joined with Aro Majumder, one of our men's lacrosse beat reporters for the upcoming season, and he's been working on a story about Pat March, one of the assistant coaches under John Desco, and his path to Syracuse. Aro, can you just walk us through how he arrived to Syracuse, starting with his time as a player? Sure. So Pat began his career uh, at Roanoke. It's a D3 college down in Virginia, and he played there for four years, was one of their all-time great players. Uh, I believe he finished his career fourth, all-time in points. I believe he was second when he finished his career in goals. So a great player at Roanoke. And then he started his coaching as well at Roanoke uh, the year after he finished his playing career in 2010. He hadn't finished his degree yet, so he was finishing his degree, decided to help out coaching. He was there for a year, and then he moved on to Dickinson for two years. That's another D3 college. He worked under a longtime head coach over there, Dave Webster. Learned a lot of things and kind of took that into his jump to Division One lacrosse 2014 with Vermont. That was a pretty newish program. He really revitalized their offense and took them to new heights. I believe they got to their first conference championship game with him on staff. He's the offensive coordinator over there. And then Princeton had a head coach that also went to Roanoke. And so they had the Roanoke connection. He ended up moving over there in 2017. Really talented group at Princeton. Top guys over there, Zach Courier, Austin Sims. Of course, Michael Sowers is his name. Very familiar to the lacrosse world now. Arguably the best player in college lacrosse right now. And so he had him ever since March got there in Sowers' freshman year. So you got to work with him, really develop Sowers' game. And yeah, the, the story kind of focuses on uh, how he was able to really revitalize that that Princeton offense as well. It, it was a top 10 offense every single year that he was there. They really worked on their shooting. That's probably the biggest thing that March worked on pretty much everywhere that he went. He was a really crafty player, really good at scoring around the crease, around like that goal line extended area. And he, he brought that in his coaching as well. Sowers talked at length about how how much better he got at, at scoring from, you know, behind the goal and coming out in that, like, goal line extended area and being able to, to shoot in pretty tight angles, but also being able to beat and deceive goalies from that area. And they talked, uh, Austin Sims talked again about how much March sort of focused on, on making sure and getting high-quality shots, again, as a former attackman, a guy that, that scored over 200 points in his career, over 150 goals in his career. He, he knew how to beat goalies. He, he knew how goalies worked. And, and so it was all about changing levels. He wanted you know goalies to really make saves. And so he brought a lot of that to Princeton. And you're going to see a lot of that at Syracuse as well. Uh, you saw it in the shortened season last year. Uh, he only had five games. So you know, maybe they didn't go through the ACC gauntlet quite yet. Um, they're going to have that this year with at least six ACC games this year. So it might be a little bit tougher, but that was a top five offense last year. And I expect 
pretty similar things this year as well. So, are you mentioned a little bit of just how crafty Pat March was as a player. What was his time there before coaching at Roanoke like before he went on to this illustrious career? He was small, and so he kind of had to find different ways to score. And there's a funny story that uh, his coach over there, Bill Pilot, was saying that when he first got the recruiting tape of March, when March was in high school, he actually thought he was too small to play D3 lacrosse. And uh, he ended up coming over there, and he made an impact immediately. You know, he's sort of a, a stubborn player in the sense that, like, he, he's just going to be able to get through you really, you know, strong, able to get into good positions in front of the net is sort of what I gathered. And, uh, he, you know, he was able to score in a variety of ways because of how he understood the offense and also understood the weaknesses of the defense. A really smart player. What Coach Pilot was saying kind of lends itself to coaching as well. Not, maybe not the most vocal guy, but really understood what makes a good offense and, and how to kind of incorporate attackmen into an offense. And then he takes that knowledge from his playing days into coaching first at Roanoke as he was still working on his degree in coaching, like you mentioned, then moves on to coach at D3 Dickinson. What were those first two jobs like for him and what was some specifics that he really gained from that time period? The biggest thing that, that he took away from the D3 level, which I think you can still see now, is just how to grind in terms of recruiting, in terms of player development, because a lot of the guys that, that go to the D3 colleges, I mean, first of all, they don't have athletic scholarships like at the D1 level. Trying to get kids into those programs is a lot harder. It's a lot harder to stand out as a program when you're kind of pitching to these kids. And so that's one of the biggest things that he, he took away from his time at D3. Coach Webster over at Dickinson was saying, that yeah like all coaches should have to go through that d3 level because you learn how to you know get the most out of kids that maybe aren't at the same talent level as d1 still very very good lacrosse players and you can see that now i mean he, he's bringing in recruiting classes uh, he brought in really great recruiting classes at princeton and he's already done so uh, with the syracuse name as well to kind of have his back and, and i think that's what he sort of took away from coaching at that D3 level is how to, you know, really connect with the players, uh, but also understand, you know, the relationship between a coach and a player and, and get the most out of that player. Hmm. So he really learns how to coach, recruit, develop, connect with guys at the D3 level and really propel him to the D1 level where he goes on to coach of Vermont before going to Princeton. What was the adjustment like to those two jobs after coaching at the D3 level? The biggest adjustment was just having more time with the players. And so it was more so about understanding the responsibility of, say, in the fall, he's able to work with the players so much more than at the D3 level. At the D3 level, you only have four weeks in the fall, I believe, to practice and see the, the kids that you're coaching. Yeah, at the D1 level, you have a full fall ball schedule. In a normal year, you're playing scrimmages even in the fall. And, and so that's a big, I think, jump in terms of how much more you have to be able to do and, and develop your players in the fall before the spring even comes around. And, and then, yeah, again, in the spring, I think the, the coaching, I, I don't know, you know how much the maybe tactically things change for him. But I, I think a lot of it just kind of came down to having to understand how to you know, work with these kids that are, you know, at D1 colleges, obviously super, super talented and, and kind of meshing and, you know, you don't have to quite coach them as much, right? You know, they already come in, they know how to play the game, but it's more about how to utilize them and utilize all these pieces at the D1 level. 
So we mentioned earlier just how linear of a progression Pat March's career has taken, and it's pretty impressive how quickly it's developed. First, he's coaching at his alma mater, working on his degree. Then he goes to Dickinson, still at that D3 level, before making the jump to Vermont, Princeton, and now at one of the best lacrosse schools in the country at Syracuse. What can Orange fans expect from Pat March and expect to see from his offenses? Yeah, I mean, that's what impressed me the most about March, you know, how quickly his career has progressed. And, and I think that you're going to see a similar sort of progression even at Syracuse. You know, I think the theme of the story is really how much he's been able to take away from everything that he reads, he absorbs. His dad and him have a Christmas, you know, book exchange kind of thing going on, a tradition where, you know, they, they read leadership and coaching books because he's always kind of constantly learning. And you see that on the field. You know, he's having fun. He's he loves the game of lacrosse. You see him smiling a lot. You see him, you know, really pumping up his players on the sideline as well. And, and that translates to a fun offense to play in, right? It's it's discipline, but it and you saw it again in the five games last year. The ball moved from stick to stick. No one has it for a long time. It's not slow. It's fun. They they want to score. They scored 21 goals twice last year, and so it, it's really just a high octane, you know, a lot of fun offense. It's the type of offense that he grew up playing in high school and at Roanoke, and he's really carried that over now into Syracuse, and, and that makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, it seems like if last year was any indication in the shortened season, Syracuse's offenses under Pat March are going to be really fun to watch and really intriguing. A lot of excitement, a lot of quick passes, but Aro, thanks so much for joining us on the Daily Orange Sportscast to just give people a little bit of insight into what they can expect from the men's lacrosse team this year. For sure. Thank you, Thomas. We're joined now by Andrew Crane, one of our men's lacrosse beat writers for the upcoming season. And Andrew is working on a story for quite some time now. It's going to be released on Wednesday about Chase Scanlon and his upbringing, his unique path to Syracuse. It's not like most's. Andrew, can you just give the listeners a little bit of detail about what Chase's upbringing was like? Right. Well, first off, Thomas, thank you for having me. Yeah, so with Chase, Chase grew up very, you know, close-knit community. He's from Irving, New York, and he lived on the, the Seneca Reservation. And so that was, his upbringing with the cross was basically centered around, you know, these pickup games. He'd play with his cousins who were anywhere from, you know, his age to six, seven years older than him, but they'd all kind of go down to the Gilway Arena or the Cattaraugus Community Center, all show up in their pickup trucks. They'd have their sticks. They'd put all their sticks in the middle of the floor, and they'd they'd have one person who kind of, like, started, like, sorting them kind of every other, and that's how they figured out teams. Now they'll kind of do it, like, if you have a kid, you're on one team. If you don't have a kid, you're on another team. But back then it was when they obviously didn't all have kids. They did the, the every other stick. And so that was really the upbringing for Chase with lacrosse. He, he obviously played, you know, a lot of box lacrosse, kind of working up through the, the Newtown minor league system there. And he played a lot of, you know, he played club lacrosse for the Road Warriors, played at Silver Creek High School for, you know, four years, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th, and then transferred to IMG in Florida for his final two. And, and then for, for college, he was originally committed to Syracuse, committed back in ninth grade, decommitted, while still in high school, then committed to Loyola, and then transferred back to Syracuse after a year at Loyola. So it was 
there's a lot of lacrosse, obviously, in, in Chase's life. You know, every day they were going to the Gilday, going to their uncle's backyard, and always just tossing the ball around, you know, improvising with, you know, if they didn't have a goalie, they'd, like, play corners or if they played post or whatever. So they were really working on the fine, you know, small elements of their game without even realizing it. And that's why a lot of them are so good now. You know, like, one of his cousins is Zed Williams, who's, you know, the former UVA All-American, uh, now in the PLL and, and won the, the PLL championship last summer. You know, other cousins went to, you know, like smaller schools, like D2, D3, but like really, really, really good still. And a lot of them have played for like the Iroquois national team or other, you know, kind of uh, national groups there. So growing up in the reservation, obviously the style and play of lacrosse is a little bit different and it's more... I guess, homegrown compared to playing on this club team, where is it fair to say you're working on these skill sets and these fine-tuned details that maybe you wouldn't be doing if you just played club that whole time? Right, and it started super young, too, for Chase. You know, he when he was like two or three years old, he'd go watch his dad play at the senior games or the senior league with all his cousins when they were all Chase's you know, age, too. So you have kind of... It's, it's this interesting you know, generation tradition there and, and so you have the the older generation playing and then chase and all his cousins at halftime will run out in the field and kind of be almost like a halftime show except they're really like a really good halftime show you know they're they're kind of the next uh the next wave of lacrosse players and so they're like the halftime show and they're you know floating around the locker room or the bench with a helmet on i was talking with chase's dad scott about kind of that you know tradition and and generations of the cross players there and chase as well last year and he was saying it, it's kind of interesting to look at everything full circle now where chase and his cousins will still go down and play and now it's a couple of his cousins are like later 20s a little bit older than chase and they'll bring their kids down who are two three years old just like chase and just like all of them were 18 19 years ago and so it's it, it's a really cool progression to to learn about and to to talk with everybody about just kind of how the community all comes together for the games. So I think the most interesting perspectives or, or thoughts on the kind of the tight knit group of the reservation came from Chase's high school coach, Rob Jenko at Silver Creek. He, he has a lot of close relationships with, with Chase, his family, his players, obviously, and a lot of his players will be, you know, from the Seneca reservation. And the way he phrased it was if his son, and Rob doesn't live on the reservation, I should, you know, preface it with that. If Rob's son, were to go and play college lacrosse. And, you know, he's in fifth grade now or something like that. If he were to go play college lacrosse, he'd be playing for Rob, his family, and, you know, his friends. That kind of be the core group that, that he was playing for. But for Chase and for, you know, Zed Williams or any of, any of Chase's other cousins, like they're really playing for the entire Seneca Native American community. They're playing, when they go to Syracuse, Chase's family is all carpooling up. The community's carpooling up to watch the games. Back in high school, when Chase would go to Aunt Millie's, a diner, before games and get his chicken finger melt with Rob, he'd be talking to all the waiters and waitresses and customers about his next step, about like his 100-goal season. When he would go and play in all these tournaments, he didn't have to pay to go play in the tournaments because he was sponsored by various gas stations or other kind of community groups to allow him to go. And so he, like the, the token of appreciation, or I guess the return on that was he would give them like the jersey from the team or, you know, so they'd be, they'd 
frame like Chase's jersey and, and hang it up as like a thank you for, for allowing him to go play in this tournament. Like it's one thing to call like a community tight knit and all that. But I think the anecdote that Rob and the approach that Rob was, was talking about really puts it into perspective. Just how when any of these, like Chase and his cousins, the, the Scanlans, the, the Garlos, all of that, whenever they go and play for, for a college, for a team, they're really representing their community. Yeah, it really seems that way. And you mentioned just how important lacrosse is to the community and the reservation that Chase Scanlon grew up on. Is that one of the sports, one of the main sports that was really played a lot and delved into in Chase Scanlon's reservation and in the community? I would say yes. I mean, not everybody plays lacrosse there, but it's it's extremely popular because it's the it's the creator's game. There's a spiritual element to it too, which I don't think you know we would have... In, in any other sport and that's what also makes it so unique and so amazing kind of the, the game of lacrosse so yes a lot of people do play lacrosse even if it's not your primary sport like you've definitely picked up a stick at some point and just tossed the ball around or whatever but for chase you know he also has like going back to the spiritual element i was talking about you know he his grandfather richard kettle and richard kettle's grandfather francis kettle so chase's grandfather and his great grandfather great great grandfather are, are all traditional stick makers. And so Chase grew up with his grandfather, you know, going out to the woods and cutting down hickory trees and splitting them into 13 foot logs, letting them season for a year, and then, you know, putting them in boiling water and, and starting to, to form the shape of the lacrosse stick. And so that's something, you know, I was talking with him last January, just in the Manly Fieldhouse, and that's a process that's just so ingrained in, in what he does and, you know, kind of just the, in his mind that he kind of rattled it off like it was nothing. There, there's so many different experiences he's had with the game of lacrosse, from playing to the, to the stick making, to, to watching, to all of that. I mean, it's really helped shape who he is, who he's become, and who he will become, you know, after, after his playing days are, are done. Now, eventually he transfers in high school to IMG Academy, goes to Loyola before transferring to Syracuse, what was that like, and what was that whole decision process like in those few years? So he left Silver Creek for IMG because he felt he needed the additional exposure in order to, not even the exposure, but just also the, the better coaching to, to kind of progress his game. So Silver Creek merged with Gowanda Chase's sophomore year, and that was, Gowanda's like another local school, local New York public school right by uh, Silver Creek, but the coach at Gowanda didn't really allow Chase to kind of be the player that he was. You know, Chase was somebody who would score 15 goals in a game. The coach didn't really like that. And so he'd take Chase out or, you know, he'd kind of pick on Chase a little bit more because, you know, he was Chase Scanlon. He was the player on the team in the league. He had a connection down at IMG with Mark Burnham, whose father actually played with on the Iroquois national team a couple decades ago. And Mark told, you know, Scott, his father, that he could get him in down there and, and they could, you know, he could work with him for the next two years and really progress his game. And I'd, I'd say that's where a lot of, like, the maturity of Chase, the lacrosse player, happened. Mark makes all of his players play both attack and midfield. He had a phrase, like, Chase has a very kind of almost like a sidearm shot, but Mark would always say, like, if Chase would, would shoot high, Mark would yell from the sideline, like, fake high, shoot high, and then all the players would like chime in behind him like, get stuffed high, because that's like a, what a lot of people will do is they'll fake high and they'll also shoot high uh, just because it's like you know, more fun to shoot high, it's easier. 
but the goalie stick is right there. Like if you pump fake high, the goalie stick is still up there and it's easier to adjust. So those are kind of the little lacrosse IQ nuggets that, that Chase picked up on at IMG. And along the way, he committed to Loyola first freshman year. And really, I mean, it was just, it just wasn't the right fit at Loyola. And I think Chase really realized that. He said over the summer, he, there were two orientation days they could go to. And he missed the first one when everybody else went to because he was in British Columbia playing in the, the Minto Cup. And he also was in the Under Armour All-American game. And so he didn't really get to know his freshman classmates. He was really close with like the upperclassmen, you know, Pat Spencer, kind of the ones who ran the orientation and team bonding stuff and all that. But he wasn't, he didn't really get to know the people in, in his grade. So he found himself spending a lot of weekends in the fall at Johns Hopkins, where he had friends that he knew from before and all that. So he wasn't really even at Loyola a lot, you know, outside of the classes and the practices. And then after the season, you know, it was something he had thought about during the season transferring, but he kind of kept it internal at that point because he didn't want it to be a distraction. You know, obviously Loyola was really good that year with Pat Spencer as a senior and Chase, you know, scored almost 50 goals as a midfielder. So, so that then after the 2019 season was when he put his name into the portal. Desco reached back out within the same day went up and watched a, a box lacrosse tournament of chases in Toronto that summer. They talked for hours and uh, he offered him the, the you know, number 22, which is a pretty storied number in, in Syracuse lacrosse history. So, so that, that's kind of the path to chase to Syracuse. It's, there's a lot of steps along the way and it's kind of crazy. His dad had a really interesting way of phrasing it. It's like the lacrosse stick has chased, taken chase far, you know, farther than, he could have ever imagined as a kid, and, and as Scott said, you know, farther than even I could have imagined him going. Like he, Scott had been a really good lacrosse player and never left Canada, but you know, here's Chase going to Toronto, British Columbia. He's going to Loyola in Baltimore. He's going to Israel with the Iroquois national team. He's going to Florida for IMG. You know, he's going to all these different places, and it really gets back to what I said earlier. He's going to all those places, but he's really doing it for the community that he came from. Yeah, that's really fascinating. There's a lot of really intriguing elements to this story, some of which we didn't even touch on here in the preview in the Dio Sportscast, but you can find the whole story on Wednesday at dailyorange.com as part of our lacrosse guide coming out that day, Andrew Crane, with the story on Chase Scanlon and his upbringing and what that means to him now. Andrew, thanks so much for taking some time to join us here on the Dio Sportscast. Thomas, thanks so much for having me. We're now joined alongside with Skylar Rivera, one of our women's lacrosse beat reporters for the upcoming season. And she's got a really interesting story coming out on Wednesday as part of our lacrosse guide about fifth year senior Ella Simpkins and her journey to Syracuse. And Skylar, it really seems like it started in high school. Can you just walk us through a little bit of Ella's high school trajectory and how she eventually arrived to Syracuse? Yeah, Thomas. So Ella actually wanted to quit lacrosse in high school. Crazy story, but she was playing for a local club team in Long Island and she got dropped a couple divisions to a lower team and that totally defeated her. She didn't even know if she wanted to play lacrosse anymore. So um, in a last ditch effort, her mom said she tried out for another team. Her parents had to convince her like, you should just try this out. Maybe something good will happen. She tries out for um, another club called the Long Island Top Guns. 
she makes the team fits right into their A team and actually leads them to a youth national championship, which was super cool. And then she gets recruited by Syracuse super late because all this happened her junior year of high school. So that's when a lot of girls in lacrosse are getting recruited and she was switching teams, which is almost unheard of. She was recruited as a midfielder, but switched to defense here at Syracuse her sophomore year because she wasn't getting that much playing time. I mean, if Thomas, if you look at the women's lacrosse team, all-stars, midfielders, scoring a lot of goals, like it's insane. So Simpkins, she had that physique built up and she had that strong lacrosse IQ and she picked up on the defense like nothing. Hmm. So, I mean, that's just a fascinating story, Skylar, of this person who was really heavily considering changing sports her junior year of high school and then on one of the best women's lacrosse teams in the country last season and is now, as a fifth-year senior, one of the real integral parts of this team. What was that journey like for her and that path to eventually arriving to Syracuse after almost giving up the sport? So one of the reasons why Ella liked lacrosse was because she liked the social aspect of it. She liked being a part of a team, chatting with teammates on the field. And at the club that she got dropped down a couple divisions, she really didn't feel valued. So she started to lose interest in the sport and didn't even want to play anything at all. Her parents got really worried because lacrosse was such an integral part of her life. So she tries out for this other team and absolutely falls in love with the teammates, with the team, the way the team plays. It's a family-run lacrosse team in Long Island, and so she really fell in love with the way they ran their program and just how good this team was. And you mentioned that she's now a defender, switching over from midfielder. A lot of that, of course, was maybe a lack of playing time, but how has she developed into a defender after switching into that role once arriving to Syracuse as a mid? Ella actually started off sports with swimming, and she was a competitive swimmer when she was a kid. She waking up at 5.30 in the morning, getting that grind in the pool, long practices, which really built up her aerobic capacity and built the athletic build that she has today. Ella's really strong. She's really hardcore. And that was something that you usually see in defenders, right? But she was a midfielder, really good at what she was doing, but she wasn't getting much playing time. Her freshman year, she only played in five games. And she's this really good player, and she wanted to do more to contribute to the team. So there was a coach at the time, her freshman season, and he was assistant coach Reggie Thorpe. And he saw the way Ella played and her drive for lacrosse. And he encouraged her to change positions sophomore year. So sophomore year, she does the extra practice. She learns how to play defense. And she picks it up really, really fast. And she's really good at it. So they start playing her in more games. And after sophomore year, she started in every single game since then. She's really good. She has an athletic build and that drive that, the backbone of Syracuse's defense. And Skylar, you mentioned earlier that she's hardcore. And obviously that's a pretty common thing amongst lacrosse players, but is there any specific examples for her as a defenseman where that really shows? Yeah, so during her junior year, she was at the Carrier Dome playing a game and she falls. She gets stuck in this weird defensive collision. She actually dislocates her shoulder. On the field, she pops it back in. 
super hardcore. She went to the locker room, totally unaware of how bad this injury was, returned to the field 15 minutes later to play in the game. Totally insane. Turns out that this injury was actually super severe and will require surgery in the future. But Ella doesn't want to have surgery. She doesn't want to miss a season. So she plays and practices with a brace. She has the athletic team taper up, put the brace on, and she's ready to go. So if that's not a testament of who she is and how hardcore Ella is, nothing else will. I mean, that's a pretty crazy story that you hear about lacrosse players, football players, hockey players, Ella Simskins, no different from a lot of those other athletes. But you mentioned that she has this really persistent drive and this perseverance. What is the reason for that? What are the things that made her into the athlete and the defenseman that she now is today for Syracuse women's lacrosse? So it turns out that Ella actually has a learning disability. So she struggles a little bit in the classroom, but her mom actually said she used that for the positive. She used it for good. She really had to learn at a young age to work harder to be at the level that everybody else is at and even better. So she learned how to have that hard work ethic and that you really see that translate onto her work in the lacrosse field. She's a hard worker working out in the gym, doing the extra practices, learning how to play and building that strong lacrosse IQ, which I think helps her be the player that she is today. And in addition to that, she is coming back for her fifth year, fifth season, thanks to the NCAA extra year of eligibility. And like everybody on the team, she wants to win a national championship. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if they can get over the hump and win that first national championship in program history. They seemed to be on track to do it last year before COVID-19 shut everything down. But Skyler, thanks so much for taking some time to join us today on the DO Sportscast. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Halal Shack, located in the Shine Student Center, for sponsoring the 2021 Lacrosse Guide. Also, a big thanks to Skytop Liquor for their continued support of the Daily Orange. We're now joined by Nish Vasudevan, one of the Daily Orange's women's lacrosse beat writers for this upcoming season. And he's been working on a story about Bianca Chevery that will be released this Wednesday as part of the Dio Lacrosse Guide, and the story really delves into Chevery's journey to Syracuse, her time on the Canadian women's lacrosse national team, and some of the odds that she overcame to reach SU. Anish, can you walk us through this story a little bit and what you found out during your reporting? Last season, when Morgan Alexander, the starting left attack for Syracuse, went down, they really needed to fill that hole up and try to get some offensive power for, for the future games. Before the season was canceled, Bianca was put into that position and she had four goals in four assists in eight games, which is pretty good for her just because she was a freshman and she was the youngest player on the starting squad at that time. She's technically listed at midfield, but playing attack is something that she's done throughout her life. Um, But yeah, just the whole narrative that I got reporting on this story and from talking to people related to Bianca is just how how much of a beast she is, basically, how she's able to just play past her height. She's only five foot two. She's the third shortest on the on the Syracuse team. And she was being the youngest on the Syracuse squad, but also 
she had an experience with Team Canada in 2017, where she played for the World Cup and was the youngest on the squad at 16, playing with people double her age, uh, with the oldest on the Canadian squad at the time being 32. And the team finished with a silver medal. And Bianca being being young and being in that attack position was definitely a big part in the team's success. So that's a pretty incredible thing, because correct me if I'm wrong, but not a lot of players, whether they're American, Canadian, wherever they come from on this Syracuse lacrosse team, play for their national team before they arrive to SU, do they? No, at that time, I mean, 2017, you're thinking there's a lot of... She she was Bianca being 16. That means people on the Syracuse squad at this time were probably just 17, 18, still deciding on maybe where to go to college or they were uh, committed to Syracuse. But you know the United States is is a powerhouse in in lacrosse. And something that one of uh, Bianca's high school coaches was saying is the reason why she was really brought onto the team was just to match that energy uh, with the United States team. And so Canada could actually try and take them out as a powerhouse. And it didn't work, but they still got to the gold medal game. And Bianca, um, her performance in that World Cup as a whole made her captain, secured her spot as captain for uh, the under-19 Canadian team in 2019, which also uh, won a silver medal. Wow, that's a pretty incredible story. And now, Chevry, of course, is at Syracuse now. She's a sophomore. What are expectations like for her heading into her second season with the Orange? Yeah, so talking to her, she was really just, she was talking a lot about how her first season, she was kind of just playing more passive rather than aggressive, which is different from her style of play throughout her life. Because of her height, she talks a lot about how she used her hockey background. She used to play boys hockey as a kid and uses that aggressive nature to kind of assert herself on the field and kind of dominate her opponents. There was even a story about when she played boys hockey, she actually would purposely let the boys players get to the corner so she could cross check them just because she loved the contact and loved doing like the dirty, the dirty work in the game so much. But last season, she said that she was just playing a little more passive just because she wanted to give the veteran players more of a chance to make plays. So she was making that extra pass rather than taking the shot herself. And this season, she just said that she's been working a lot more on her shooting and her goal scoring because instead of making that extra pass she wants to be she wants to have the confidence in herself that she can actually score last season she went in at left attack when morgan went down talking to uh, coach gary gate he said that she'll probably return back to midfield which is fine because her two-way abilities are are really are really sound she's able to play defense just as well as she's able to play offense now, Chevry, she is only five foot two, which would be one of the smaller players on any lacrosse field, whether it be ACC, collegiate lacrosse, or even a high school game. How is she able to overcome that height mismatch playing the midfield against much larger players? You know, I, I think for her, it's it's kind of just like um, she has that mentality that no one on the field is stronger than her. No one on the field is faster than her. She was talking a lot about how... Um, how she kind of gets underestimated a lot when she, in high school, she used to go up for the draw and then there, there would be opponents that are 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", and they would just give her kind of a weird look and be like, what are you doing here? You're, you're too small to do this. But then she'd box them out. She'd, she'd get aggressive and still and get the ball. And it's just, it's, it's interesting to see that in Syracuse with this just, 
this stars started roster. She was able to go in last year and kind of give a helping hand when one of the focal points of their offense went down. Yeah, Chevrolet really seems like a player that is going to have a bigger role, whether it's this year, whether it's in the future. Of course, after next season, there will be a lot of players graduating on this Syracuse team. But even in her sophomore year, it seems like she's going to have a pretty substantial role this season. Now, I know you mentioned Coach Gate expects her to play midfield, but she was an attacker at one point as well. Do you expect her to be a person that Gate can move around the field a little bit and use in a lot of versatile roles? I think she can play a lot of versatile roles, mostly at attack and midfield. She's never been a straight defender. But I think with just with the, the amount of the amount of seniors, the amount of fifth, sixth years returning back with, with ten out of the eleven players that were eligible returning back this season, it's gonna be interesting to see how she fits into the lineup, how she fits into the rotation. But if she's not even playing that much this year, in the future, in future seasons, she's definitely gonna be a household name in Syracuse Women's Lacrosse, and she's she's not going to settle for anything less than that. It does seem she is really motivated, and what impact did her play with the Canadian national team, playing with players that were, you know, in some instances 32 years old, playing hockey in high school? How did those experiences really shape her as an athlete and as a player now for the Syracuse Women's Lacrosse team? Yeah, I think just the whole thing is that she's just not intimidated. She's not scared when she's getting on the field. She has that kind of chip on her shoulder being being shorter, being younger than most of the players out there. But she embraces it completely, and she just uses that to her advantage, kind of uses that to her own motivation. And it's going to be interesting to see how this season, when she's a little older, and uh, Gate was talking about how he wants her to have a little bit more of a re- leadership role this season. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how, how she actually has matured from her play last season, just kind of going in as a in a crisis. But this is kind of her first full season where she's able to do what she wants and, and contribute to the team in the way that she wants to. Hmm. It'll be really interesting to see what happens for Bianca Chevry this upcoming season and really a player to follow throughout the course of her career at Syracuse. But Anish, thanks so much for taking some time out of your day today to just join us here on the Daily Orange Sportscast. No problem. Thanks for having me, Thomas. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to check out the full lacrosse guide on Wednesday at dailyorange.com. We'll have all the information you need to know about Syracuse lacrosse throughout the season on the Daily Orange Sportscast, as well as coverage of all other Syracuse sports news. I'm Thomas Schultz, the host and editorial director. Mariah Humiston is the podcast editor. Anish Vasudevan and Ella Plowman are our assistant sports digital editors. Adam Wolf is our music producer. And Lucas Serio is our executive producer. Thanks to our men's lacrosse beat writers, Aro Majumder and Andrew Crane, as well as our women's lacrosse reporters, Skylar Rivera and Anish Vasudevan for joining us. We'll see you next time.